everybody. What is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining. It's a Wednesday, but I'm by myself. We don't have a student guest, and that's because all of our students are recovering from their retreat, D-Town, this past weekend, which looked amazing. And it's so so abundantly clear that God is working mightily through our students and their leaders here in Dallas. And regardless of where you live or how old you are, I'm glad we're reading the Bible together and all of us can get a glimpse at what our students experienced at D-Town this past weekend by checking out the new songs released by Watermark Waves, which are available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to listen to music. My personal favorite is the song Soon. That said, um, we've only got a few minutes, and today we are in Genesis 35 and 36, which really, Genesis 35 lays an important framework for our understanding of the rest of the Old Testament and really the Bible as a whole. So let me kind of illustrate this for you. I recently switched to a different office up at the church, which is so nice, the church building, and I'm really grateful. But prior to the move, I've officed in a cubicle, a shared office space, and like a desk in a communal workspace type area, hallway-ish. So now that I'm in an office, I can write scripts in the quiet, host meetings, etc. But up until now, I haven't needed any office furniture. And during those ice storm snow days, I scoured the internet for the best sales and finally ordered furniture. And one of the pieces that I purchased was a metal glass, glass top coffee table. And this table has sat unboxed and unassembled on the floor for a week now. So every day I walk into the office and I stare at the frame. I want you to picture it, a rectangular black metal coffee table. The glass top is still in a box, but the metal pieces are just lying in a pile. At first glance, it doesn't look like a table. I mean, if anything, it may look like the frame to a tiny toddler bed or something because it's just strips of metal. And in a similar way, when we look at today's chapters, we can see some seemingly small events and a long list of names, easy to breeze over, make some routine observations or notes, and skip to the next day's reading. When in reality, Today's chapters are a framework for our understanding of the Bible, just as the metal pieces on my floor are the literal frame for hopefully a great coffee table. And if we miss the fundamental parts of today's two chapters, our understanding as we continue reading the Old Testament will be shaky. And when it comes to the Old Testament— probably heard the word patriarch. The dictionary definition is— any of those biblical figures regarded as fathers of the human race, especially Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their forefathers, or the sons of Jacob. Literally, that's what comes up when you type patriarch into Google. We can recall Genesis 12, 15, and 17. We read about Abraham and his wife, Sarah. God set apart Abraham and made the Abrahamic covenant a set of promises. You're going to have many descendants. That's seed. I'm going to give your family a new home, God says. Land. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And this family, this family is to be a blessing to the rest of the world. You're to show them who your God is. Blessing, land, seed, and blessing. You fast forward, God starts making right on his promise. Abraham and Sarah have a son named Isaac. Isaac gets married to Rebecca, and they have twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Or as we read in Genesis 25, verse 23, the Lord told Rebecca, 
the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. And as the story goes, Jacob gets the birthright. So now we find ourselves in Genesis 35 and 36. In chapter 35, we learn a lot about Jacob. And in chapter 36, we get a record of Esau's descendants. Chapter 35, starting in verse 9, we read, Now that Jacob had returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again at Bethel. God blessed him, saying, Your name is Jacob, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. From now on, your name will be Israel. So God renamed him Israel. In these verses, we see a patriarch, Jacob, be renamed Israel, and God declares that this family will become a great nation. That's verses 11, 12, and 13. God says, hey, you will become a great nation, even many nations. Kings will be your descendants, verse 12, and I will give you the land that I once gave to Abraham and to Isaac. Yes, I will give it to you and your descendants after you. God declares that this family will become a great nation as we know them, the nation of Israel. Makes sense as Jacob, Israel, is the namesake for the nation. And at the end of this chapter, we get a list of all of Jacob, or should I say Israel's sons, whose names become the names of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. For me, I like to organize the familial relationships by drawing a sort of family tree, if you will. On a piece of paper, you can start with God at the top, then you draw a little line down. You get Adam and Eve, another line, Cain, Abel, and Seth, Adam and Eve's other son, all next to each other. And then I draw a dotted line downward indicating I'm skipping several generations, and eventually, I'd get to Noah. Little dash down, Noah's got three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. From Shem, I'd eventually get Abraham, then Isaac, and then Esau and Jacob, And then next to Jacob's name, I do like Jacob slash Israel. And beneath him, I do 12 little lines branching off to represent his 12 sons. From there, I can literally visualize how all of the characters, all of the real people I'm going to read about as we continue through the Old Testament fit together and relate to one another. For example, as we'll find out, Moses and Aaron were from the tribe of Levi. Saul was from Benjamin. David was from Judah. Jacob's God-given identity as the namesake for this family-turned-nation helps us organize all of the people God uses to accomplish his plans, and drawing out a family tree of, of sorts can help me track, keep track of their relationships to one another. It shows me the family framework. And if I wanted to, I could take a look at Genesis 36, and in a very detailed way, I could fill in the family tree on Esau's side. Just as the nation descending from Israel became the Israelites, the people descending from Esau became the Edomites. Back in episode 22 of season two, Nathan Wagnon, Watermark's former director of apologetics, helped us understand the relationship between the Edomites and the Israelites. And I'd encourage you to go back and re-listen to that episode covering Genesis 25, as I found it incredibly helpful for making sense of today's two chapters. One of the things that Nathan and I discussed was the brotherly relationship, the familial relationship between these two individuals turned nations, the Israelites and the Edomites. And as we'll see, the discord or tension between these two groups becomes more and more apparent as we keep reading through the Old Testament. 
And Yahweh, God, has a unique anger toward Edom, as Nathan pointed out, because they're supposed to be a good brother or teammate to Israel. But again, as we as we keep reading, we'll see they never do. They aren't. And it can be easy to glance at those names and never think about them again. Chapter 36 might seem annoying or burdensome, cumbersome to get through, but they are Israel's brothers. Yes, they later prove themselves to to be the enemies of God or the enemies of God's people. But eventually they will they will be brought under the rule and reign of the Messiah. I mean, That's what we see. When Jesus comes, anyone who ends up following him is grafted into the family of faith. It's Romans 11. Even though the Edomites come from Esau rather than Jacob, Israel, they are still granted access to God, entrance into the family of faith, which goes to show, even in light of God's frustration toward the Edomites when they'll fail to help Israel, their invitation into the family through Christ shows us that God's heart for the nations, his heart for those who weren't part of Israel— has been consistent. He wants those outside of the family to know him. He always has. The Edomites were supposed to be teammates with Israel, to have their backs, and they simply didn't. Nevertheless, God still extends an invitation for them to know him, to walk closely with him, which begs the question, are there people in our lives we've written off as enemies of God? And if so, do we believe that God wants to reach them, save them, and ultimately graft them into the family of God, Romans 11. Do we believe that? That's all we've got time for today. But as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together. Hey, we want to thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know that you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? And if you're willing, we'd love it if you subscribe because the more you download, the easier it will be for new friends to find the podcast.